Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Peter Tolton. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly, Peter. Peter went from professional racquetball player to entrepreneur of the year. After 30 years of hard work, Peter's Emporium has 2,000 gyms operating in over 30 countries. He was named Entrepreneur of the Year in 2010 by Ernest and Young. His companies have been featured for six years in a row in prestigious lists such as Inc. 5000 and Entrepreneur 500. Peter's portfolio includes Nine Round, Pharrell's, Yoga Fit, Steel Fitness, Fitness on Demand, and Snap Fitness. This empire comprises the world's largest wellness franchise organization, serving 165 million workouts and counting. He never gets tired when it comes to challenges and making breakthroughs. Peter has a deep understanding of consumer desire and he knows how to fulfill them and teaches that know-how to entrepreneurs. Peter started with one gym, uh, but then he asked for a loan at the bank. He was looked down like he was crazy, but that's a good thing for Peter uh, who believes that when you start with nothing, you're fearless because you know what's down there and you've been there. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, thanks for having me. I look forward to this all day. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving deep with you uh, on what got you so successful, um, how people can take that in their healthcare businesses and use some of that themselves to kind of lift themselves up and impact more people. I think that a lot of us in healthcare, we get into it because we are passion-driven, we care about our clients and we want to make an impact and often we have an experience. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you into doing this sort of thing. Was it like, a, I just want to get into business and I'm, I'm going to kill it or was it, did you have an experience? What kind of kicked things off for you? Well, my, my big break came, I was, when, as you mentioned in, in my intro, I, I, I played racquetball at a high level. I was a, a touring pro and subsequently spent a lot of time in the gym in my hometown, which was a, a racquetball club. And one day I was, I was getting ready to move down to Orlando, Florida. And uh, I thought I owed it to the owners of this gym that this facility had been losing money for years. And I had breakfast with the owners and I told them, look, I understand that you guys are losing money, but I want to tell you why. So I, I, I told the owners that the person they had running their gym, he just did not have the qualities. He was not engaged in the community. He was not engaged with the members. He wasn't even engaged with the club. The club was filthy. So he was just, he, he wasn't going to ever deliver the results that these guys were looking for. And I wanted them to know that because they were not spending a lot of time within that business. And then as we're leaving that breakfast, I said to these guys, look, if you ever want to turn this club around, give me a call. And I literally hopped in my car and I drove from Minnesota to Orlando, Florida. But a year and a half later, my phone rings and it's these owners and they're saying, look, Peter, would you consider coming back, running this club? We'll pay you $16,000 a year. But if you turn it into a profitable business, keep in mind the business was losing about $200,000 a year. They said, if you can turn this business around, we'll let you buy us out with the profits. That was my break. I came back completely turned the business around over a period of five years, turned the business around from losing 200,000 to making 250,000. And then from there, over the next five years, ended up buying everyone out. And that was my springboard. Now it's me. I own one gym. It was doing very well. And I leveraged that to open again, seven more facilities over the next 10 years. So yeah. I was doing that for 20 years of my life. I built seven clubs, owned them, ran them, to, you know, making a great living, and then stepped away from that, sold them all, and then started Snap Fitness. Yeah, wow. So what, 
what allowed you to go from, I'm already having some success. I'm going to let this thing go. And then I'm going to move into something similar, right? But then build up a massive franchise. What was the, the thought process there? And what got you to take the jump and then explode this next one? Well, the seven facilities, I did that for 20 years. And at the time I was married and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, now's a good time for me to, to try something else. My kids were five, three, and one at the time. And I was traveling a lot overseeing these seven clubs. And uh, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to try something different. I knew I was capable of something else, but I didn't know what. So I sold all seven of those facilities and it was just take, really taking a breather, thinking about what my next thing was. So I had money in the bank. I was feeling good about myself. Well, subsequently what happened is one of my employees who stayed with the company when I sold it, he contacted me and he said, look, the culture has changed so much within these seven clubs. I just don't want to work here anymore. Would you consider building me a club and I'll run it for you? And I said no to him at least a half a dozen times before I finally said, you know what? I started thinking about it. And the facilities that I had, the seven facilities, there's indoor pools, racquetball courts, aerobic studios. These were big facilities. And I wasn't excited about getting back into that space, but I thought, what if I eliminate the swimming pool? What if I eliminate racquetball and aerobic classes? And pretty soon, instead of that club being 40,000 square feet, it was 4,000 feet. The cost to open it was a fraction of the big box facility. So that was the catalyst to get me into the space. Now, when I built the first club, I was doing it as a favor to this person who was a friend of mine and who had been so loyal to me for years. I didn't know at the time that that was going to be the catalyst to building one of the largest wellness brands in the world. I didn't know. Okay. But I built one club and to my surprise, I sold enough memberships in the first 90 days to cash flow it for the year. So I was pleasantly surprised. Hmm. And said, I, after about four months, I said, you know what, I'm going to build another one. Right. So I built one in a mid-sized market, had the same performance. Now, now I'm getting intrigued. I'm still not thinking about franchising. I'm just intrigued by what I have in front of me. And then I built one in a town of about 3,500 people. And I thought, there's no way this thing is going to cash flow. And I always tell people, it's not what you take in the front door. It's, it's what you take out the back door. Mm-hmm. So in terms of these, you know, in these little markets, I was only doing maybe 13, 15,000 a month in total sales. But my fixed operating expenses were about seven, eight thousand dollars. So you've got this small little business kicking out, you know, seven, eight thousand a month of positive cash flow. So it was a great ROI on cash. And yeah. it was at that time that I knew that I had a tiger by the tail. And it was at that time that I hired some attorneys to draft my franchise documents. It was not a race for me. I made sure that I was very diligent in my process to make sure that my concept was built on a, on a, on a sound foundation before I, I went out and started selling franchises. And, you know, I executed, I created a product that was relevant with the people and, and the validation came by, I was selling enough memberships in 90 days to cash flow. So I knew that the product resonated with the people. So I just made sure I had a real sound foundation. And the first couple of years, it was, I went from first year, I think I opened 12 to 15 locations. The second year I opened up about 70 locations. But after that, going into my third year, I was, I really had my stride and I was building two to 300 new stores every year. In fact, in 2008, I built 377 stores in one year. I opened more than one club a day. 
I mean, wow. that's, uh, yeah. So it was a, a great, great teamwork, great execution on a vision. It was beautiful. Yeah. Gyms, fitness, it's a big industry, a lot of competition. What do you think helped you to create a product as you called? And I like that you said that you called it a product because it is right. You're offering something to somebody to solve problems, to produce outcomes. What do you think helped you to design the product that meant that it, whether it was stood out or connected with people in such a way that it meant that you could have the success where others in literally across the road struggle? Well, I think when you're, when you're building a product, especially a product that's so highly competitive, you have to try to thin yourself from the herd. And, and that's an instance what people need to be mindful of. If you just go into the market and you're just another me too product, then I think that you have a high probability of underperforming. So for me, I wanted to thin myself from the herd. So what did I lead with? I said, look, my membership, it's going to be affordable. It's $35 a month. Number two, my clubs are going to be open 24 hours a day. When you belong to one, you belong to them all. And the real caveat, the real difference was, hey, look, people, no contract in my gym. You're going to pay $35 a month, and I've got to earn your business, earn your trust every month. That is what resonated with the people. Finally, there was a gym that stood up and said, look, wait a minute. Let me understand this. You're not going to make me sign a 12 or 18-month contract whether I use the club or not. You're not going to shackle me to your gym. And I would say, no, you know what? I've always been against that mindset. I don't think that you should, that your membership retention should be built on contracts. For me personally, if I suck at what I do, you should be able to quit, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be, oh, you signed a contract. It doesn't matter if I under deliver to you. You signed a contract. You're going to continue to pay for the next 12 months. That to me, fundamentally is flawed logic. So what resonated with the people was me saying, hey, look, no contract. I'm going to earn your business, earn your trust every day. And if I don't deliver on my promise, it's really simple. You just quit. People love that. Yeah. It gives them that option of saying, hey, I can always leave. And uh, which then ironically keeps them hooked in because knowing that makes it easier to actually just go and do it and try and stick around, especially when they're getting value, right? I would go out to people when I was trying to solicit business, I would go into businesses and give them free trial memberships for them and their families and staff, friends, everyone. Anyone that could fog a mirror, I would give them a free pass, right? And I'll tell you why. I realized that until you walk through my doors, I don't have an opportunity to sell. And I felt like if I walked through my doors, they could see the value of my product, which is why I sold so many memberships so fast, which yeah. would obviously allow me to cash flow the business very quickly. Yeah, that's amazing. So... Did this kind of come for you? And I kind of feel like I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did this come for you? You did it and then you realized, hey, this is what's going on? Or is this, a, I'm going into it on the front end, knowing these are the struggles that most of the market has with other competitors. So I'm going to solve those problems up front. Oh, certainly the latter. I, I, when I walked into the business, I did not go in blind. I, I had 20 years of experience under my belt. And I felt like I had been groomed for that moment. I really did. Mm -hmm. I mean, the trials and tribulations of turning around a failing business, it's, it's a lot harder to turn around a failing business than it is to launch a new one. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. If you're in a market in your trade area and the trade area already has a preconceived notion of what your product is, now I've got to get them to come back to the same place and say, look, we've changed. 
That's mm. that's a lot harder than launching something that's brand new and sexy and it's a new shiny penny. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, I knew exactly what I was getting myself and into. And I also knew what my soundbite needed to be with the public. Yeah. I would tell people, hey, look, I've got a great product. If you want to get in, get out, get on with your life, I've got the answer for you. And I told people, look, I don't have swimming pools. I don't have childcare. Um, I don't have aerobic classes, but here's what I do have. I'm open 24 hours a day. Being that my club is 4,000 square feet, I'm in that neighborhood strip center where you pass me on your way to work, on your way home from work. I make it convenient for you. And, and by the way, no, I don't have aerobic classes, but I've got a lot of diversity in my cardio. You can do a different form of cardio every day. And you don't have to be locked down to a schedule. So I, my, my clubs were cardio, strength, and free weights. Mm. That's what I started with. Now, we've since evolved a great deal over the 15 years. But when I started the product, though, those were the three areas of my gym. It resonated with the people. And the numbers don't lie. The numbers yeah. validate that what I had was on point. Was the 24-hour gym a new concept that you developed? Or was it something that you popularized, do you think? No, it, would, it had been there. In fact, the, the concept of using a key card to scan a door to gain access, that's been under our noses for years. It's been in the hotel industry forever. I mean, yeah. you take your room key, you go into the gym, they're not staffed. And keep in mind, when I started this concept, we were staffing the gyms 15 to 20 hours a week. Now, today, we, we, almost, we staff them full time. Because, and then this is the important component about a very, very competitive space like the health and fitness, health and wellness space. When the consumer is what drives the relevance of your product, okay? Mm. At the end of the day, the consumer will tell you how you're doing. They're either going to support your business or they won't. Because when you're in a highly competitive space, if you don't deliver in your promise, there's five gyms within three kilometers that'll more than cover what, what your needs are. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't afford to get sloppy in this business. You got to be on your game. And so that's in, in my business. That, that's why they do so, so well that you're always, you're pivoting, you're evolving when, when you need to and make sure that you're relevant with, with the consumer. Yeah. The, the things that I'm hearing, I think that are super powerful for the audience. And I talk a lot about this with my clients and I try to bring it up regularly on the show is that you need to understand who you're actually talking to right? What are you actually building and who is it for? Most of us, especially in healthcare, we think, okay, I'm a chiropractor, I'm a massage therapist, I'm, you know, whatever. And that's what I do. And that's what I am. And that's what it is. And so I'm just rehashing the same product. And I think that that might be your skill set, but it's about taking that and thinking, who am I actually dealing with? Because a lot of the time in healthcare, we are uh, trying to stimulate a down business and bring it back up because there's the public perception of what it is. And I think that too many of us romanticize being this amazing, perfect version of the profession or the service or whatever, because we got into it for those reasons. Mm -hmm. but the client doesn't care. They're looking right. for using you to get an outcome. And so, like you said, right, the, the consumer is, is going to tell you how you're doing. And a lot of us forget that. We, we stick to how we want to do it and not listen to them. There's no question about it. And you know what? You have to, you, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. You have to, if you're, whatever industry you're in, whatever vertical space you're in, you've got to be an expert, a student of what's going on, because you're going to see things that evolve. And you have to be able to spot something that's real with substance and something that's just a, a flash in the pan, just a short little trend. Following trends with no stickiness, that's a very costly proposition. So mm. there are certain things that have evolved through the health and wellness space 
that if you made the right bet and you evolved appropriately and, and accordingly, you're pivoting right with the expectation of the consumer, right? So it's really, really important that you continue to evolve your business um, as the consumer expectations increase. And a perfect example of that five years ago, you started to see this really, this really significant movement into functional training and group fitness. That's where it was. You had Barry's boot camps, you had Orange Theories, you had a lot of products out there that were these footprints that were roughly 3,500 square feet, a lot of treadmills, a lot of strength, and, and you're just doing this functional training boot camp type workout. It, it's you know 50 minutes to an hour, but it's super intense. And, and there's been some people that have built some really successful franchises around it. Now, COVID has hurt them dramatically, and nobody saw that coming. But, um, I mean, the punchline here is you needed to evolve with group fitness and functional training in order to be relevant. And if you're just starting to evolve into that space now, you're almost coming down the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that the pandemic has has shown a lot of vulnerability in the way a lot of us run our businesses. Things that were kind of going to be inevitable anyway have just been sped up, I think. Uh, and it's really showing who's ready and who's not. And that both comes for you know service delivery, but also how we cut through the noise and market to our clients and focus on providing value and, and realizing that we're here to solve problems and produce outcomes. And sometimes the, the view from the consumer of that is going to change. People's priorities shift and we have to be able to pivot with it as well. Yeah. Yes. And people like, you know, working out at home, a lot of people have evolved and figured out ways to do it at home. But the in-gym experience, there's a social aspect that's to it, which is important. And also the variety is, is important. I mean, most people... Probably, you know, uh, probably 99% of the people can't replicate their gym environment at home. You know, they can mm. they can get a few pieces here and there, but it's not going to be that same gym experience. So we're finding in our concepts that people are hungry to get back to the gym, but, they, but you have to be really intentional with the cleaning. It used to be you would clean during off hours, during slow times. Now it's the opposite. Be very visible, be very intentional. You want your customer to understand that you take COVID seriously and that hygiene is, is of the utmost importance to you because yeah. you know what matters to them. Yeah, 100%. I, um, I tell my clients when I was in practice uh, for, and this is speaking to you know how you talk about the, the gym experience, right? I tell my clients to have their gym gear in, in their car and then just go there, just drive there. Because guess what? You're there. You might as well work out. Whereas when you're at home, you get distracted and you're comfortable. You can't be bothered. Things happen. Uh, and it's very easy to make excuses. And I think that's why understanding the, the psychology of the client is important. And with what you're doing, you're being visible. You're showing them, hey, it's okay to be here. Let's keep you coming here because yeah. that's what's going to get them to, to implement it. And it kind of leads me to, to another point. If you're not getting utilization of your services, that's the probably the first way that a client leaves. They've already left in their head. They're not going and they're not going to now start to come. So how do you, for lack of better term, incentivize or get your clients to keep using the product to experience the benefits to help them justify in their mind of why this is an important part of their life? That's the holy grail of our industry. I mean, if somebody can solve the question on attrition in a gym, you've literally, you've cracked the code. Here's the reality of it. You have to be creating stickiness with your customer. Require, that's where the heavy lifting is. No pun intended, but that's the heavy lifting. That's where I've got to be communicating with my um, staff, my trainers, to be intentional with their message to the clientele and communicating through apps and through messaging. You just have to keep yourself in front of the clientele. I don't care if it's with 
healthy recipes with, uh, you know, vendor appreciation discounts and, and events, whatever you need to do, because if you don't stay in front of them, you get forgotten. And once you're forgotten, they're gone. And it doesn't take long. You might get away for a couple of months, but pretty soon people say, look, I don't care if it's even a $30 a month membership. They say to themselves, look, I'm not using it. If I don't use it, the value is not there and I quit. I'm moving on. So it's, you know, you just have to really stand in front of the the membership base. And that's something that people have been trying to do for years and years. And as I said, that that's attrition. That's the big hurdle that we all try to overcome. Mm. How do you use social media to, to facilitate that? Do you do a lot of that? Um, Do you find it effective for staying in front of your clients? It is social media is a great venue to share success stories and and success stories resonate with people because and you want to make sure if you're promoting people's success stories through social media that you show diversity, different men, women, young, old. That's so important because you want someone to look at someone's story and see themselves in that story. Mm. And say, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too. Or seeing somebody who is extremely overweight that has lost 50 pounds as an example and having them say, look, I've been dealing with a weight problem my entire life and I want you to know I did it and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, people think that, my gosh, if I'm going to lose 50 pounds, this is, this is going to take an act of God. But really, it's just a matter of changing some nutritional components, changing your diet a bit. And, and just becoming more active. It's not like you've got to go out and run a marathon. So I always tell people, hey, look, you didn't put on 50 pounds overnight. It's not going to come off overnight. So we just got to be committed to the transition and stay diligent in that mindset. Yeah. I love that you said diversity because often we, we just think about diversity on the front end. How do I, does this person look similar to other people that are in my, my group of clients? But it also comes down to expected results. If you're only ever sharing these astonishing changes, sometimes it's unrelatable. And so there's me who wants to put on a little bit of muscle and I'm looking at all these bodybuilder guys and saying, well, that's nice and that's not me. But as the business owner, you're thinking, well, of course, if they can get that result, then anyone who's who's not looking for that much or is less than that, that, of course, they can see themselves in that. But the reality is that they don't relate to it. And the key with this is is relationships and getting people to, to connect. So diversity is key in sharing results as well. When you're thinking about relationship building with your team, uh, with your staff and connecting with members, how do you facilitate the same level of energy and passion that you have in what you do uh, and having that trickle down to managers uh, and to support staff to create an experience that's as uniform as possible across your location so that people know that when I go to Snap Fitness, for example, here and there and there, that there is consistency. Because a lot of the time, we have contractors or associates, staff, etc. Staff are often easier to manage, but especially contractors and associates where it's not their business, but we've got them there to serve clients and we're trying to replicate an experience, but they might not have the same energy as us in it. So might be a big question, but how do you how do you tend to try and utilize that and bring that energy into your staff through the experience of the clients? I think it starts with you you have to lead through example. And I and I learned that from my, my father. You know, my father ran a small grocery store in my hometown. And um what I loved about my dad, he owned the business, but you would see my father at, at his grocery store. He would be working the checkout stand, he'd be carrying groceries, you'd see him stocking the shelves. And you'd see him shoveling the sidewalk. He never put himself above any position within the company. And that created an unbelievable loyalty of all of his employees. 
this unbelievable loyalty. And it was fun for me to sit back and watch that these guys would walk on fire for him. And I think that they got that because they, they trusted him and they knew that, that he was not afraid to get in the trenches with them. He looked at them as equal. He may have been the, the head coach or the captain of the team, but he, he was not afraid to get his hands dirty. And those are great qualities. Those are some of the same leadership qualities that I had with my employees. I tell me, look, just trying to share with them, leading by example, literally leading by example and then and then you know letting them know that don't be afraid to fail right it's and that's what 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 prohibits so many people in in growing within their their company or starting in a business they've got this fear of failure and i tell them all growth transpires through times of failure don't be afraid to fail it's that's where all the growth comes in not only if it's business but in your personal life as well and uh so, you know, it's it's just getting your head around that, but, but literally leading by example and, and letting people know that you've got their back. And once you have that loyalty, people will, will dig in deep for you. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, and leadership is key when you're trying to build a big business that's not as dependent on you running the day-to-day. A lot of health professionals are stuck in the trenches of, well, I have to do it because I've tried the associate thing. I've tried to, to bring in people and it hasn't worked. What advice would you give for someone who's wanting to expand their team, expand the leadership team and expand their reach with their business where they're looking at going, well, what I do here works really well. I help a lot of people and I want to help more people, but I've tried to open other locations and it hasn't worked. Yeah, it starts with empowerment. You, you need to empower people. And, and here's where some people fail miserably when it comes to leadership. They talk about handing off the baton and delegation of responsibilities and then, and then following delegation with accountability. But the reality of it is they hand the baton off, but then they sit and they hover over that person in the position where the, the person ends up getting frustrated because they feel like they, haven't really, they don't really have the trust of their boss. Because even though they're given the baton and they're, they're supposed to manage the process, they're constantly having him look over their shoulder. And that's not a sense of trust that they get. That's not a sense of empowerment. You have to be able to empower people, number one. And number two, when they fail, they can't fear losing their job every time they fail. And what I've always done with people is when someone fails, I say, look, what did we learn? What did we learn from this? So when we make mistakes, let's learn, let's learn fast and let's try not to repeat them. Because I tell you what, if you're going to grow your company, you're going to have failure along the way. And it's just a matter of acknowledging the failure, making the changes and pivoting accordingly and then pressing forward until you start empowering people. You're never going to be able to expand because you're, you might have one or two, maybe three, but every time you open up another replica of, of a business, you're sent one person trying to manage your time amongst three places. And pretty soon you have no life. You're just completely married to your business. You have no social life. You have no family life. And those are horrible situations to put yourselves in. Mm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And a lot of that starts with that internal uh, belief and certainty in what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve and being fearless, like you said, as part of your bio too. That fearlessness is what allows you to push forward. Where do you get a lot of uh, your internal resources from do you have well, coaches do you read a lot like where, where does that come from i don't i mean I, I i listen to a lot but just on the last point about ex- expansion i want to make one other thing is if you're going to expand you have to expand in human capital but you also have to take and really dig deep into your your own systems and processes because mm-hmm. if you don't have systems and processes if you don't have structure within your first business and if that structure can't be replicated 
across multiple locations and become part of your system, right? Your franchise system, your franchise system looks and behaves a certain way. And, you know, there's, that's where the rubber hits the road. You have to have that system. The reality of it is in an ideal world, whether I go to club number one or club number 1000, I should have a very similar workout experience. Now the variable there is going to come in human capital because some people are bubbly and they're engaging and they're intentional and they're present in their communication and others are not. That's why in our facilities, I keep telling people, look, whoever is your front desk person, that's the critical piece. That's the, that's the heartbeat of your club, of your business. It's very important that the first smile that they receive resonates with, with your, your clientele. And also the other staff see, sees it as well. I get amazed sometimes when I go into a gym, even, even one of my gyms, and they have this big person behind the desk. Now you think about it, that's a little bit intentional just in itself, okay? Mm. This big muscle-bound person behind the desk. And then if they're not warm and friendly and engaging, because when you walk into a Snap Fitness Club, typically the desk is within 15 paces of, of where you walk in because we're going to check mm. you in, right? Yeah. That person should be engaging. Hey, how are you? And if I'm not carrying a gym bag and they got to be perceptive enough to realize that this is potentially a prospect. So if I, if I see you coming in my club, I, say, I would say, hi, is this your first time here? Here, let me show you around, right? I'm going to embrace you and make you feel completely comfortable. Well, if you just stand there behind the desk and stare at you, you're going to get uncomfortable. You may turn and leave, right? I mean, yeah. you see it happen. So we really try to train our people in just, you know, great human engagement and being authentic and yeah. being able to not only show people around, but sit down with them and say, look, what is your wellness goal? What are your wellness goals? Because I can't chart out your journey for you until I know what your goals are. And once yeah. I know that, then I can help you lay it out and put it in a realistic timeline so you know what's in front of you. Yeah, 100%. The most successful clients that I work with, they're very people orientated. Um, they're looking at what outcomes are we going to produce for this person? What do they want? Not just what do I think they want or what do I think that I would want to do with them? And they have the right and how systems. how hard do they want to work, right? Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. How hard do, some people, they want to look great, but they don't want to put the work in. Well, that's a, yeah. that's a tough spot to be. Yeah. And I think that sometimes if we, if we over or under assume some of that, we set up a plan that's just never going to work for them. Not that the plan doesn't work, but it doesn't, uh, you know, the rubber doesn't meet the road with the person, then they're not going to get outcomes. They're not going to be happy. So managing that is is an important part of it. And I think that it's a process, right? Like some of my clients that I can think off the top of my head in in my practice over the years, um, some of my best clients for people that were more difficult at the start or they didn't necessarily have that big vision, but I worked with them with where they were at and I helped draw them forward. I didn't push them forward. I drew them forward through leadership, through the team by associating with other members. And as we, as we drew them forward, they started to open up as they saw more changes and they got more momentum. And I think that there'll be a lot of that in the gym space. I know that was for me, it was, let's just go, let's do some stuff. And then as I got you know, growth and et cetera. I, I felt better about it and I continued. But a lot of people, we, we burn our clients because we don't match their pace and, and right. lead them. And educate them on what does the process look like? What does the journey look like? Because some people can get discouraged and they're get, they get discouraged because in their head, they, they don't understand what the journey is going to look like. They think it's going to happen very quickly. And, and sometimes yeah. recovery or weight loss is going to take a lot longer than they anticipated. And they get discouraged. Yeah. I think most, especially healthcare, we, we don't necessarily balance it very well in a lot of cases. We're either in the situation of like, well, what do you want? 
and then I'll do some stuff and I'll just let you lead, which never works because Mm -hmm. the client doesn't know what's possible and they also don't necessarily know what's best for them because if they did, they probably wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. Um, Or we have two hard and fast rules and plans in place that lock people into stuff that doesn't work for them and so then they're not happy and they want to leave. And while they might follow through, because sometimes people feel obligated, it kills referrals, it kills social proof, it kills uh, community growth around the business because it's like, oh yeah, that's the place I go to that you get locked into for a year, which which doesn't work as well. It's about balancing them. You said a really good point around uh, processes and reproducibility of systems to to scale. That's key. Uh, A lot of clinics that I work with, they're group-based practices where it's a bunch of individuals doing whatever they want to do and the owners trying to grow the business. And that's very difficult because now you're dealing with uh, individuals doing what individuals want to do and how they manage their clients. So there isn't a consistent experience. And what I've always tried to do in my practices was create a consistent experience from day one, right the way through, uh, as well as when people walk through the door, et cetera, and, and the expectations of the practitioner so that that person was there, they're part of our team uh, and I've got their own personality and flair but we have a process for how we manage our clients. There's expectations around how we do things because then the client can go between practitioners uh, and have consistency in outcomes and experience, not just, well, you know, Dave's going to do this stuff and Stacy's going to do that stuff. And and so they get almost addicted to their practitioner and they get hooked. And then that, it it doesn't work long-term. You can't scale that because it's too personality driven. You know, when you talk about scale, I do a lot of um, consulting and a lot of consulting for people that have businesses that do well and they get in their head. I want to franchise and Mm. perfectly reasonable and rational thought. And in most cases, when I go in and I take a deep dive into their businesses, I need to simplify their processes. There's not enough similarities, even between the same product in multiple locations. They've got so much, unnecessary diversity within the three locations, you got to have consistency. So they literally, it means streamlining it, really dumbing it down because in order to have a successful franchise, you've got to be able to take a bus driver, a stay at home mom, a successful business person. You've got to be able to teach any person with any occupation, how to fish within that business. And, And the only way you can get there is by really dumbing it down, making it simple. And that's also how you get consistency across you know, a hundred or a thousand locations. You've got to yeah. just really keep it simple. And it's not that you can't have these unique touch points. You can. And that's what separates the average from the good from the great is those little nuances, those little touch points where somebody focuses extra hard on the personal touches, the personal communication within each of the, the businesses. How is the customer received when they how are they welcome? What are my touch points throughout the experience? You just have to have those moments within your business where you're touching people and they have those special moments. And that's what keeps people around. So yeah. it's that uniqueness. So you have to dummy it down and then create a process around it and make sure that you're consistent in that process across all your locations. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. I feel like I could talk to you all day about this stuff. There's, there's so much uh, golden insight uh, and, I'm, and I'm conscious of your time. So I've got one last question for you. Thinking about the, the average healthcare business owner who is, it's either typically themselves or maybe one or two associates. They're sort of doing low to mid six figures a year and they're wanting to have more impact and more ease in their business, helping more people, but not kind of overworking themselves. What would be one piece of advice that you would give them to help them grow their business? I would say that this is an easy one. And for all your listeners out there, first thing to do 
is look at your competition. Do a deep dive into your competition within your trade area. And if you want to go outside your tra trade area, that's great too. But do a deep dive into what the local competition is doing around you. Because what you're trying to do is you're, you want to identify some things that they're doing and then identify who you want to be, how you want to show up, and what you can do to be different and be better. Not in your eyes, but in the eyes of the consumer. The consumer will tell you what they want. Mm. All right? If one of your, your competitors is beating the pants off you, their parking lot is always full, look at what they're doing, appreciate what they're doing, and then try to incorporate that into your business, whether it's people skills or whether it's a few of the amenities, whether it's the look and feel when you walk in. It's just like the gym business. People aren't looking for more weights and faster treadmills. They're looking for community and culture within their four walls. Mm. So some people think, oh, I need to expand my business. Look, you know what? A lot of the things that you can do at this point it's really the intangibles. It's, it's investing in human capital, investing in your people and letting them know it, the importance of connecting with your clientele. And then once you feel like you're doing that well, then the next phase of it is referrals. Go to your existing clients and tell them to bring a friend. Bring a friend yeah. in so they can experience it. And, you know, reward, if you get, if, if one of my clients brings a friend and they end up, they end up converting into a member or a client, I need to do something for that person who brought that prospect in. So whether it's a free massage or a free um, adjustment or a 30-day free membership, whatever it might be, I've got to do something to let my members know that I appreciate their loyalty and I appreciate the referral. But yeah. th that's what I would do. Yeah, that's an amazing advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our audience connect with you online? I, I make it really easy. Instagram. And so it's just Peter underscore and my last name t-a-u-n-t-o-n so go there and you know i try to put push motivational or business related uh, topics on my instagram and um, if you message me I, I look at everyone so if you get a response it's not some robot it's me i, I respond mm -hmm. to everyone I, I make a point every day multiple times a day to try try to keep up with it but uh, you know this is what i do i enjoy connecting with people and i enjoy giving them insight as to how they can win in business Amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, Take care. It's been my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Now, if you want to find out more information on how you can grow your healthcare business, I want you to get a copy of my book. Uh, you can visit practicemasterymethod.com where I talk about the nine accelerators on how to grow a seven-figure healthcare business or add seven figures to your revenue. Uh, there are free training. There's free resources that will be shared in the show notes as well. So go and check those out. Uh, and as always, keep at it. Keep hustling uh, because we've got people to help money to make and freedom to have. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the show. If you liked the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider 
That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you will find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business and I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.